This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies. It's Thursday night football day. It is, and you're on the air with Bree and Cassie. Um, yeah, Thursday night football is tonight. The Texans are playing at the New England Patriots. They're both 2-0. It should be a really exciting game, especially given the fact that the Patriots are starting their third-string quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. Obviously, Brady is out serving his suspension, and Jimmy Garoppolo went down this Sunday. This should be interesting. The Patriots are a franchise you definitely think of Tom Brady, so mm -hmm. for them to be starting a rookie quarterback... <laughs> And their backup quarterback is actually going to be Julian Edelman, who's a wide receiver. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> so it should be an interesting, an interesting game. game. Hopefully they have that home field advantage. You know, maybe that'll pull through for them. Yeah, and this will also be broadcast on Twitter, which I still think is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a jam-packed show for you guys today, starting off with Coach Sean Payton's teleconference this morning. He kind of discusses P.J. Williams and his injuries and then previews the game coming up on Monday night against the Atlanta Falcons in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. And then after that, we're going to talk to Curtis DeLoach, who is the Saints cornerback who recovered Gleason's blocked punt in that game against the Falcons 10 years ago. And then we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk some Pelicans. Sean Kelly caught up with Mark Kestisher, the NBA on ESPN radio reporter. And they're going to talk a little Pelicans for us. And then we'll also hear from Susie Colbert, who was the sideline reporter for the Saints during that Monday night football game when the reopening of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome back in 2006. So we got a jam-packed show for you. We're also going to close with a little teaser of that Saints Are Coming documentary from Coach Sean Payton. Yeah, The Saints Are Coming is going to be premiering this Saturday on Fox 8 at 5 and 10.30 p.m., or you can watch on NewOrleansSaints.com. So we're going to listen to Coach Sean Payton give a little soundbite about what it was like returning to the Superdome after Katrina. So we have a lot in store for you guys. Up first, we're going to hear from Coach Sean Payton previewing next week's game. We all know Saints fans are humble, hardworking, likable, and the most devoted fans in the league. All of that takes energy. The energy you get from a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Saints fans everywhere. Try the delicious Chunky Chicken and Sausage Gumbo. Just visit your local Winn-Dixie and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup. The hearty way to fuel your game. And the official soup of the New Orleans Saints. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Earlier today, Coach Payton spoke with the media. Let's give it a listen. Sean, can you talk about the decision to place P.J. Williams on IR and, and if there was anything further than a, a concussion that he's dealing with? Uh, no, it's a concussion, uh, but yet it's one significant enough that you wouldn't really see on a normal basis um, He'll be able to make a full recovery. He'll be able to return to football in the off season, uh, and yet, um, I would say probably uh, one of a, the more severe concussions that, that I've seen. Um, and, and it's not measured by just on the field. 
you know, there's a series of tests they do that are, they're able to determine, uh, you know, how much trauma in, in the event. And, uh, and his is one where, um, you know, the rest and recovery is going to be necessary. And, uh, you know, all the experts really take a, take a peek at, at, at the different slides and, and scans. And, um, and so that made the decision then to put him on IR, obviously uh, an easy one and yet, uh, uh, challenging, and we went ahead and, and then signed uh, Tony Hills to the roster tackle. Sean, is that something that I know it's impossible to compare that you might not have done five years ago, knowing more, being more cautious, that kind of no, thing? No, this, this, this is not – this isn't us or we. This Look, when, when they scan this concussion, they're able to measure – to some degree, the type of uh, trauma, you know, he had, and it was significant. Um, you know, you could tell on the field it was significant. So uh, I don't know whether five years ago, Mike, this would have been uh, the exact protocol, but uh, it's an easy one for us right now. How long was he unconscious? I mean, we saw the way he was um, Man, I, I wouldn't want to guess. Uh, a good portion of while he was on the on the field, you know, we – uh, the medical people got there and they were just wanting to make sure uh, he was breathing properly. All of that uh, was taking place. And then I think there's a period of time that when he's on the field or on the field going to the, to the, uh, the cart, uh, but, a, but a longer period of time than normal compared to what, what we've seen or what we're a little bit more uh, used to seeing. How, how is, how is PJ now? Is he, is he, he's doing, he's doing better. You know, he spent the night uh, sleeping. Um, I think uh, I'm sure there, uh, listen, I can't speak for him, but I'm sure uh, disappointment to some degree because of the type of, uh, you know, recovery of just having, you know, just having kind of gotten into a position where he's competing, playing, starting. Um, and yet, uh, from an encouraging standpoint, uh, none of this will carry over and, and, and limit him in any way, uh, in the future. So, uh, but I, I think more than anything else, I'm sure it's, it's been rest and recovery, you know, just, uh, getting back into the, the routine here. Is, is he able to, to be at the facility, I mean, just to be up there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's up and moving around and everything. Yeah, he's not. Yes, he was here yesterday having breakfast. I saw him. Okay. John, with how uh, Craig Robertson has played, how, how do you plan to continue utilizing him when LRB returns? Well, I think this. We've got a handful of packages. We'll be smart on how we deploy them, and I think he has played well. So it's a good problem to have. Um, defensively, we did a lot of things well in that game. Um, but I think if, if you're watching our personnel groupings based on the opponent, there's you know, generally two, three, maybe four packages, and uh, we'll, we'll you know put the best guys on the field in those packages. Sean, how is the uh, improved depth? How is the improved depth that uh, safety helped you guys this year? Well, you have some versatility with it. I thought Von Bell played pretty well Sunday and 
you know, it, it gives you some flexibility to play two safety, three safety looks. And then obviously uh, it helps with the kicking game, you know, where guys can play in special teams. Hey, Sean, Brett oh, here. What's, uh, what's... Just a quick one on uh, Tevin Coleman. Uh, seems like they're going with more of a two-running back system. I'm wondering if you can um, kind of comment on your view of how they're approaching the running game and what kind of challenge that presents your team. Well, I would say this. Um, they're very good at running the football. It's important to what they're doing offensively. Uh, both backs are explosive. Um, we know them both well from the draft. Coleman, you know, is a – kind of more of a slasher straight line speed guy and and uh, I think that look we've got to be prepared uh to handle that wide zone scheme and how they run it and then they have some misdirection they do a great job as good as anyone with their boots and naked scheme so um just simulating that speed of the running game and the angles at which it uh it which it which it hits is is always one of the challenges Coach, you mentioned the, the Falcons running backs tandem there. What about their tight ends, especially when you look at how they were used against Oakland last week? Well, again, you, you get to some of this play action. Um, they've got you know two that, are, that that got a lot of work last week. The rookie and and Tammy, uh, the boots, the naked, the returns. Uh, they do a good job getting the ball out in the in the passing game quick from the shotgun. Uh, the, you know, it's you would say in two weeks they're doing a lot of things well offensively. Sean, with the with the injuries you had at, at cornerback with Delvin and with Damian and now with PJ, does it does it limit what you guys can do, or you know, do you just kind of coach up the rest of the guys who remain? Well, I, I think number one, you you you're preparing the guys that are getting ready to play, and then I think you're always uh, mindful of what are the strengths of the the guys that are in the game plan and and trying to tailor the game plan around what they do well. Sean, you you mentioned the other day. Uh, cleaner needing maybe more consistency is that just like a time on task situation with him well i think some of it is i think you know yesterday we had good work and it's 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 just that confidence level the timing level you know he's a big target um you know what are the specific things that he does well in man and zone and and again i think uh that overall our third down are down you know i now we're two weeks into it and yet you know yesterday watching every third down and and then looking going back quickly and looking every third down from a year ago, um, you know ultimately you're getting contested coverage, you're getting tight man-to-man coverage, and you know I think the key formationally with your players is how are you you know separating from man-to-man coverage. Coming up next, we'll hear from Curtis Deloach. Have a once-in-a-lifetime experience at a New Orleans Pelicans home game. Get up close and personal with seats that put your feet on the hardwood and sit you within arm's length of NBA superstars. Pelicans floor seats are now available and come with access to private hospitality during the game, plus invitations to exclusive team and premium events. It's the best way to experience NBA action. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com and score your seats today. Hi, it's Mark Romig. When I'm not announcing touchdown Saints, I'm listening to the Black and Blue Report. 
Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. I'm here with Curtis Deloach. Curtis, you played for the Giants, Saints, and Panthers in your career. You recorded 97 tackles, 12 pass deflections, and an interception, and a touchdown in your NFL career. But that touchdown is part of the perhaps the most famous play in New Orleans Saints history. How often do you get asked about that play? Um, I get asked about it, you know, pretty often, especially during this time of the year or whenever the Saints play uh, Atlanta. And especially by being shown on TV last night, I get to work today, and that's pretty much what everybody's been talking about. <laughs> so you almost weren't even on the field for that play, is that right? You weren't part of the punt defense team. How did that happen? Yeah, I wasn't originally a part of it. You know, it was kind of like a a deal where it was 10 out there. It was a split decision. I, I got pushed out there, ran out there. Pretty much ain't had no clue what to do. They just told me to rush the, rush the uh, punter. And if any, if you can, like, get the end zone copy, like last night I saw it where I kind of hesitated before, you know, rushing. And it's kind of like a good thing and a bad thing. If I would have rushed like I normally did, I probably would have missed the ball. And then good thing I didn't rush as fast because the ball was right there in front of me. So it all worked out. That it did. Do you remember what your emotions were like in that moment? <sighs> you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of – I don't know if I can explain it, but it's something that really can't be explained, you know, because um, walking into the stadium, you know, I wasn't originally, you know, down there for Hurricane Katrina. I didn't go to training camp with the Saints. So when I got down there, I got down there week one, first game of the year. So I didn't know the effect that that game would have or the impact that game would have that night. But, you know, Coach Payton did a good job with, like, um, he had, like, a red carpet deal where we walked down a red carpet and, you know, interact with the fans, but you can feel the energy in that stadium. Like, before the game even kicked off, you can feel it. And when I scored that touchdown, I mean, it was a feeling that I, I, I have no idea. I can't even explain it at all. It's something that can't be explained. Did you know in that moment how special that that play would be for the city? No, I didn't. Not at all. I mean, I just assumed, you know, touchdown, or you open the dome, you know, everybody was, you know, excited and everything. But I didn't know that it would have that much impact on the city. But I can see the impact looking at, you know, some of my teammates crying, seeing people in the stands crying, seeing people in the stands hugging. Um, and that's probably the longest celebration I think the NFL has ever allowed a team to celebrate. <laughs> Part of that celebration was your dunk through the field goal. What inspired <laughs> you to do that? <laughs> You know, I don't know, man. I was just in the moment at that time. I have no idea. I was just in the moment. Um, it's something I had always seen people do on TV, and it wasn't something that I thought about if I ever scored my dunk. I think it was just one of those things where when I got up, I was running with the ball in my hand, and it was just a, a spare-of-the-moment thing. It was right there, and I didn't realize I double-clutched it until somebody actually showed me and told me. That's so funny. So yeah. many people that were involved at that game, whether it be fans or players, say that they don't even like really remember the rest of the game. Do you have any memories of the rest of the game? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. I don't remember anything else. I, I think, honestly, the only thing I think I remember was um, like towards the end of the game, we did like a, a double reverse. And uh, I think Derry Henderson had scored the touchdown. I remember that. And I, before anything between that, I don't remember. Like, I don't remember going in at halftime. I don't, don't remember any of that. Nothing. That's so funny. How did it feel leaving the Superdome that night with a win? Do you remember that? You know what, man? I was I 
honestly, I didn't want to be in New Orleans. I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to come, go down there when I got, you know, released from the Giants. But after that game, um, the place I was living was actually probably about four or five blocks away from the Superdome. And my car was, you know, parked in the parking deck. Like, I just like, you know what, I'm just going to walk. Because the crowd and everything was just, it was like something that I never felt. You know, I felt like the city, the team, and everything was one big family. You know, it's kind of like after the games, everybody kind of walks in the street, walks down the sidewalk. And I just, you know what, I was like, this is something here that I probably can enjoy. This this, this, this is going to be a special season. I just felt like there was going to be a special season that year. So you just wanted to be a part of that moment with everyone yeah, I else. I did. I really did. That's incredible. Did you guys get to hear the U2 and Green Day performances in the locker room, or were you kind of locked in at that point? I didn't hear none of that. I didn't hear anything, any any of it at all. Have you ever gone back and watched that? No. Mm-mm. It's definitely interesting for sure. So no one expected that team to be coming into the that Falcons game 2-0. and after that preseason. No, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, what was funny was um, when I when I got released from the Giants, um, went to New Orleans. You know, I still had friends and everything in New York. Like, they were calling me and was like, "Dude, how are y'all winning?" And I, I couldn't. I was like, "I don't know." I'm like, I don't know. Like, it was kind of like you know because I mean, just you know, just the history of New Orleans. It's always been a franchise that hasn't won a lot of games. You know. And the fact that that year we you know we was winning, and then we went all the way to the NFC Championship game. Like that year, we really thought we was going to the Super Bowl that year. Like, like the, the more we kept playing, and then the closer we got to the end of the season, we really thought we was going to the Super Bowl that year. That year was really important, sort of turning around this franchise. Then for sure. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, we made it all the way to the NFC Championship game. That was that was wild. So the Saints will return to play the Falcons again next Monday, almost 10 years to the day. Do you think they'll mm-hmm. get the win in this sort of rematch game? Oh, yeah, they will. They will, man. I, you know, it's it's funny, man, that how we sit back and sometimes, like, man, time really flies. But with this moment right here, it made me really think, like, wow, time really does fly. Like, it's been 10 years. Like, wow, like 10 years. That's crazy. In the blink of an eye. Thank you so much for joining me, Curtis. Oh, no problem. Anytime. Really I appreciate, appreciate y'all. appreciate it. Have a good Thank one. You. Thank you. Auctioner believes the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Here, our doctors and staff are changing lives day after day. Every week, I'm operating on babies who are days old with hearts smaller than walnuts. We're giving these kids a life they wouldn't otherwise have, a chance to grow up. Sometimes cancer patients come who were told they were out of options. But Auctioner has the most clinical trials in the state. It's amazing to be able to give second chances. We're always a step ahead, even with simple things like getting you in to see a doctor today versus a week from now so what you have doesn't become something bigger. It makes a difference. Every day, Auctioner is creating a better future by looking forward and thinking differently to find life-changing solutions. That's healthcare with peace of mind. Appointments are available today. Call 866-AUCTIONER or visit auctioner.org. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Sean Kelly. Mark Kestischer has been with us before on the Black and Blue Report. He, of course is leading the way with um, with the broadcast of the NBA nationally now 
on ESPN Radio. We are visiting here, uh, as a matter of fact, the NBA offices in Secaucus, New Jersey, uh, steps away from the replay center that we got to see today and put our hands on. And Mark, first of all, great to have you back. And, and second, when I get to see you in person, or we're in these offices, we must be close to the season. Yeah, you know it's coming up soon, Sean. It was fun because we actually shared the same uh, station, workstation. There's multiple workstations in this replay center where every time you and I are doing the broadcast and we say, okay, they're going back to Secaucus to see if it's a two-pointer or a three-pointer, and we got a little feel it's not as easy as we make it sound, you know, wanting them to do it quicker and let's move it along. But it was a eye-opening experience for us. And, again, seeing all the radio and TV broadcasters for all the NBA teams does feel like we're, we're right about there for tip-off of the new season. Are, are, we, are we doing a good enough service to our listeners with regard to what this league is trying to do with things like the replay center after what you saw today? I hope so. Um, I think – I think anyone who's watched it on television, you know, to see that there are calls in this game, it's easier than football, which football is a great made-for-TV sport. It fits your screen at home. It's a lot easier than baseball. Uh, Hockey, the puck moves so fast, sometimes it's hard. You know, you really need replays help. But there's so much going on. The athletes are so big. They're so fast. um, That replay does help. And the key is, is, like – Uh, Different than the other sports, I think the NBA does a great job of how quickly they can figure out what the correct call should be. And I hope that uh, us as radio broadcasters, uh, for anyone listening to our broadcast, um, you know, during games realizes uh, what a great tool it is. And and I hope we've done a good job conveying that. Yeah, I was really impressed. Training camps open here across the league sometime in the window of the next seven to ten days. Uh, and we'll enter training camp by saying that the Cleveland Cavaliers are the defending <laughs> NBA champions. Um, that seems odd to me to say that. It does. And for someone like myself who lived in Cleveland, Ohio in the late 90s, not a Cleveland native, but got to know the natives. And, you know, they were always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it was so unexpected for them down three games to one to come back and win that series. But the one thing in talking with some of the Cleveland broadcasters uh, here in New Jersey that was interesting to see was when they were putting together all their radio um, ads and drops was to say, the home of the reigning NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, it almost felt like it was wrong to even say those words, but it's true. And um, I'll be there opening night for their ring ceremony and their banner uh, raising. And so it, it should be a pretty cool night in Cleveland. No doubt. I'm glad you brought that up where you're going to start the season because I think, as you have already seen your national schedule, that should be some tip off as to maybe what things are important or teams that really are at the forefront of the league this coming year. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny because we, we sometimes come up with like what matchups we'd like to see. Who do you think would open up in Cleveland? And uh, my first thought was Golden State, but obviously that's a Christmas matchup and it turned out to be that way. I thought maybe it would be the Chicago Bulls with Dwayne Wade now being in Chicago and he's the good friend of uh, LeBron James, but it turned out being the Knicks and there's a lot of people that, you know, feel that, you know, with all the pieces they brought to New York, maybe that's a contending team. You know, we'll see. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if everyone stays healthy and if that group meshes together. But, um, you know, it's a great time to, to get a sense of, for me, everyone's going to assume the Cavaliers. I think everyone says the Warriors are the team to beat, which makes sense. You know, they nearly won the championship and they pick up Kevin Durant. 
but um, to see uh, what the Cavaliers are like coming off a championship. And it may take us 20 games before we figure out what that team's all about, but you could say that about probably every team going into a new year. 20 games, that'd be right about Christmas time, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, that's, that's when traditionally things get going to see uh, who you got, when you're going to make a move, and then, of course, all eyes kind of go to the NBA right around Christmas Day, though I think there's some crossover with the NFL this year. But uh, that, that's about the time where we start to figure out uh, who needs to um, get a piece, maybe look at a trade for the February trade deadline, or you know, waiting for a team just to get healthy. Before I get a thought from you about um, the Pelicans and maybe even All-Star in New Orleans, were there any other happenings in the offseason that uh, whet your appetite a little bit about the upcoming season? Yeah, I think everybody uh, – I know where I was on July 4th when I heard Kevin Durant was going to go to Golden State, which was a total shocker for me. I don't know how you felt about it, but, shocked. yeah, I think we were all shocked that he left Oklahoma City. Uh, Dwayne Wade going to Chicago. I'm very interested to see what that is uh, going to be like because I, I almost thought the Bulls were perhaps going to fall off the map, and uh, they picked up Dwayne, who played very well last year. Um and, you know, there's just there's so many storylines. That's the best part about the NBA is just to see what these new pieces are going to do for all these teams. And if Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook, we knew he was going to stay for this year anyway, but now he's got two years. They made a little trade uh, after the Kevin Durant thing. So I'm, I'm just fascinated uh, to see how it all shakes out, including in New Orleans. Very nice. Good transition. <laughs> a thought or two about the Pelicans and maybe not necessarily your thoughts, but even what you've you've heard nationally is there any kind of buzz around that team right now you know it's not the buzz we saw last year I think um, I was guilty I think we all just expected a lot mm -hmm. after two years ago even though it was a sweep in round one to Golden State it was a competitive sweep I yeah. felt and obviously waiting for Anthony Davis to take the next step but look you know and your listeners know better than anybody it just never got going there were just too many injuries it never came together so this year maybe under um, low expectation, or let's just wait and see what happens. I still think the talent's there to make the playoffs. I know the West is so very difficult yeah. to get one of those top eight seeds, but I think, look, you've got a great head coach. Hopefully everything is together health-wise, and you start over, and maybe under low expectation, you get, um, you get perhaps a season that could extend past mid-April. I know this. I'll get to see you in February because that's all-star. And it's back in the Big Easy for the third time since 2008. Amazing. It is. And, you know, uh, this, these meetings that we've been here in New Jersey, all I keep hearing is, boy, I love when these meetings are in Las Vegas. Can we go back to Las <laughs> Vegas next year? Well, we all felt the same way when the all-star game got reassigned to New Orleans. It was like, now that's a great place to go in mid-February. Uh, will, I will also be attending my third all-star game in New Orleans since 2008. And this will be the first one where I actually get to do the game and do all-star Saturday night, which when I think about it and just saying it makes me a little nervous. But uh, it's it, what a great town, and um, I hope we all just have a great time. I, I'm glad it all worked out the way it did. You're a good friend and a great broadcaster. Enjoy every bit of the upcoming season, Mark. I appreciate that, Sean, and I hope uh, we'll be in touch throughout the season. Thank you. Mark Kestisher, ESPN, the NBA on ESPN Radio. Gatorade, for athletes who move the game forward, we're creating the fuel to do the same. Innovating beyond hydration to create the future of sports fuel. 
Fueling today, fueling the future. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. I'm Cassie, and I'm here with Susie Colber, football reporter, producer, and broadcaster for ESPN. And Susie, you were on that Monday night countdown broadcast and on the sideline of that famed Saints-Falcons game back in 2006 when the Dome reopened. Just to give you an idea of how much that, that whole night meant to me, where I hold that in my heart, I have a small workout room in my house in Connecticut. And on the wall, I have a framed picture, you know, one of those, like the big wide view mm-hmm. of, of kickoff of that game. Wow. And I worked the sidelines for Monday Night Football that night. So it, for me, it's just a remembrance of the insane level of energy that was in that building last night. And you can see me this tiny little figure, but there on the sideline, and that I was a part of that. I, I was on the sidelines for 10 years for Monday Night Football, and that's easily in the top three most meaningful, memorable games I ever did. That's incredible. Do you remember what went through your mind when you got the assignment for that game? Well, I think for all of us, um, for years, you have certain cities that you just love to go to and you feel connected to. And, and New Orleans had always been one of my favorite cities to go to. Just loved it forever. So to watch what happened and the devastation and, and the, the season before when the team was, was displaced, I, I went to San Antonio and spent time with them I was at the game, obviously, the fundraiser when the team played in New York. So I got to really feel it at the time, too. And, you know, just through our production meetings and being with the team and meeting them, I mean, we, we felt that year before just, just the pain and just everything that the team was going through, the city was going through. So then for, for us to kind of have to handle this presentation to the country, and the reopening of the dome and everything the city had overcome and the dome had overcome and the team had overcome to kind of have all that on our plate. That was big. I mean, it meant a lot to us. We worked really hard for that. And I mean, to me, it was sort of an honor in a sense to be a part of that and and to present that to the nation. How did you sort of balance treating it like a regular season game while also putting in perspective that pain and everything that you just mentioned? I think that's the tough part. And for me as a sideline reporter, it was bigger than just what was going to happen on the field and the players in general. I, because I had traveled around, had, you know, had been to, you know, San Antonio with them or other places. And, and as it turned out in this really strange coincidence, I believe I was already in town that weekend for the coverage of the game. And I happened to see in the newspaper, a picture of a guy I had interned with. I had interned in Miami before my career even started. He was an intern intern in a sports department with me in Miami. I see his picture and I see his name, Marty Monday, And he now had a really key position with FEMA. And I reached out to him and I wound up getting like a lot of inside information of of how FEMA had handled the disaster and things that had gone on and things that had gone on with the Dome. So I had a 
ton of information. And like anything else, you, it's this mix of what information actually makes it into the game. It's still a football game, and you want to present that in the right way but have the right mix of what this means to the city and what they've overcome. It was, it was a very delicate mix. And like anything, you want the game and those things to sort of, you know, say it all. And, of course, with the way the game played out right from the start, the, the game sort of t- took care of all of that. So you meant, you touched on this, but for the preparation for your actual broadcast, was how was that, like, specifically different? It was different because I think we spent more time feeling the city. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we were all genuinely interested in the team is back and the dome is back, how far has the city come? How far have some of these other areas that people wouldn't generally know about, how far back have they come? I think we, we owed it to the city and, and, and wanted to deliver that message as well, what still needs to be done. I think that was all part of the big picture it, because it wasn't just about the game. It was, it was bigger than the game. And especially as a sideline reporter, I, I remember feeling like I just felt a responsibility. And honestly, I don't remember because the game was so emotional and the way it started and, and Steve Gleason's play and all of that. I don't honestly remember just how much I got in. Probably not a ton of that kind of stuff. I know there was some of it. But like anything else, like I said, you, you do tons and tons and tons of preparation for every game. And then in the end, you hope the game is so great that it it carries the broadcast. And I think probably more than anything, that game carried the broadcast. And just the feeling in the Dome that night, the people who were there, I think really carried the night. So you mentioned the feeling in the Dome before the game. When you met with Coach Payton and the players before the game, what were their sort of emotions like? How was that? I think they they felt the same, that huge responsibility mm-hmm. that they had gotten the season off to a really good start. But everything still was so new for, for Sean and Drew. It was their first home game together there. And maybe because there was so much riding on it as a city, maybe it, it almost took some of the glare of it's their debut, their home debut, and their type of offense. Maybe it, it really put more on the whole thing as an event, you know, and I know Drew has talked about that, you know, it's often looked at that the team sort of, you know, helped the city to recover and inspired the city to recover, but really it was mutual. And and Drew had already established himself as such a part of the, you know, he was new, but yet a part of the community and reaching out and wanting to be a part of it. And I think he just got that, that sense, that it was, it's just always sort of been a unique relationship between the players, the coaches, and the city, and I don't think it was ever more apparent than the lead-up to that game and then that night. And that season sort of became kind of a turning point for the franchise as well then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it all it, – people, you know, maybe forget the season started off, they came into that game winning, but it was just something – you know, some things are just – it's bigger than sports. There's a special sort of intangible. And we, um, we just had our call for, for this week's pregame show. I host the pregame now. And Charles Woodson talked about 
that he was on the opposite side the night that um, Brett Favre played that unbelievable game right after his father had passed. And, and Charles sort of recounted how it was a feeling that you were just a pawn. It, the game was much bigger than you, and you almost had no control of what the outcome was going to be. And I think for the Falcons, that's how that night was. <laughs> once, it, it, once it started and you could just feel the momentum and the energy, you could just feel it sway, there where they had no control. And, and I just, to me, the, the loudest games are the ones that have been most memorable to me. And, and it, was, it was just deafening in there. I mean, the, the, the energy was, was just off the charts. Do you remember what went through your head when the block happened and they Curtis Deloach recovered it for the touchdown? Probably. I just got chills when you said it. Like, just a no way. Like, this can, can this really be happening? <laughs> and it doesn't matter that you're supposed to be unbiased as a broadcaster. It was an amazing moment in sports. So I think for all of us, there was just this, and it was certainly nothing against the Falcons, but just this unbelievable like joy. Wow, can you believe this actually happened in this game? Just incredible. So it sounds like you knew in that moment how big of a moment that would turn out to be. Yeah, I think you, it, there was no doubting how big that moment was. You felt it. Everybody, everybody there, every, I'm sure everybody watching felt it and knew. So before the game even started, there was obviously the concert with you two and Green Day. Did you get to take that in as well? Were you already down on the field? I did. I, I'm typically, and, and, and how I was sort of known for doing my job was always game face beforehand and ultra-focused. But I remember that. I remember sort of that feeling and the emotion of that. And, and this past year, I had a chance to sit down and interview The Edge who plays with Bono, for it was um, Red Day, or AIDS Awareness, and we did our show in New York, and that was sort of the, the centerpiece of it. But I interviewed him prior to that, and we, we talked about that night and just for them to what it meant to them to be a part of that, to, to you know, open the night, and it was just so meaningful for them, too. So I tried to take it in. I, I've had a... A couple instances, I worked a Super Bowl. I was lucky enough to work a Super Bowl, and I had said to myself before that, like, don't waste this moment. Take it all in, you know, all the pregame stuff. And it was the same sort of experience that night, too. Like, make sure to mark this as a memory and take it in. So, obviously, you said you have that photo frame. This game has definitely stuck with you over the last 10 years then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, every time I – step on the elliptical in my workout room, I, <laughs> I look at it and I see it. And, you know, what's funny, too, is how I got it. And, it, again, it goes back to just over the years, some of the cool relationships we've developed with the people who live in New Orleans. And, and one of those people for me happens to be one of the long, long, long-time members of the chain gang. His name is Tommy McCrossan, and, you know, and he, he holds the, the, the down markers, and he is – you know, worked in the locker room with the team forever. And we just, for whatever reason, like developed this special kind of friendship. He sent that to me. That's what, so it came from somebody who, you know, was like a, a, somebody who lives in the city, who's, who's grown up with it. And he sent it to me. And I just thought the whole thing was so special that I went and had it framed and put it up. 
That's so a- maybe just as special as the night and 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 the picture and that I'm a little tiny little dot in the picture is how I got it. That's incredible. Definitely a beginning of that love affair between the Saints and the city of New Orleans for sure. So the, Absolutely. The, Absolutely. And so thrilled, you know, that, that this is how, how, how the league, how that this has all come together again, mm-hmm. that, you know, that we can sort of be a part of the big anniversary. So, it's, that, you know, I'm, I'm so happy this all worked out that way. Yeah, the rematch coming up almost 10 years to the day this Monday. Yeah, I hope we can do it justice again. I feel like it's hard to live up to that that game though, but we'll certainly try. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Good luck to Coach Payton. You know, I know they've <laughs> said that it's not a distraction, and a lot of the players are so young men. And but there will there will definitely there'll be emotion in the building, and and that's going to be something big that the Falcons are preparing for as well. Just you know, dealing with the the energy and the the noise level in the building that night. I'm really looking forward to it. Certainly. I think it'll be a special moment for many of the fans in the building as well. Absolutely. Well, Susie, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate the time. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. When we come back, we'll wrap up this Thursday edition of Black and Blue Report and hear a special teaser from Coach Sean Payton about the Saints Are Coming documentary. Stick around. We all know Saints fans are humble, hardworking, likable, and the most devoted fans in the league. All of that takes energy. The energy you get from a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Saints fans everywhere. Try the delicious Chunky Chicken and Sausage Gumbo. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, the hearty way to fuel your game, and the official soup of the New Orleans Saints. Hey fans, on Saturday, October 1st, cheer on your Pelicans as they play their first preseason game of the season against the Dallas Mavericks at the Century League Center in Bossier City. Ticket prices start at just $15 and can be purchased from the Century Link Center box office, www.ticketmaster.com, by phone at 800-745-3000 or at any authorized Ticketmaster outlet. For more, be sure to visit shreveport bosierorg or call 888-45-VISIT. Everything you need to know about your New Orleans Pelicans is right in the palm of your hands. The New Orleans Pelicans app is easy to use, plus makes an excellent companion whether you're watching the team in the Smoothie King Center or on the road. Recently added features on the app include the latest videos and highlights, plus access to a full list of arena amenities. Download the Pelicans app for free now on your iPhone or Android devices. For more information, check out pelicans.com today. Gatorade, for athletes who move the game forward, we're creating the fuel to do the same. Innovating beyond hydration to create the future of sports fuel. Fueling today, fueling the future. Got a long day ahead? Power on with Smoothie King's new coffee high-protein smoothies. It's a nutritious breakfast blended to shift your morning into high gear with delightfully smooth cold-brewed coffee for your mind and at least 30 grams of protein for your body. Try all four energizing flavors, vanilla, almond mocha, raspberry mocha, and cinnamon latte, and power on your day. New coffee high-protein smoothies. Coffee for your mind and protein for your body. Only at Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. 
Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We're going to wrap things up with a little teaser of the Saints Are Coming documentary from Coach Sean Payton. We're going to hear him talk a little bit about what it was like returning to the Superdome after an entire year of not playing there and the preparations that took place in order to get ready for that Monday night football game. So let's take a listen. Look, the, the significance, obviously, of the game uh, was beyond just football, but both teams were 2-0. T- were both teams were in the NFC South. So if you just separated and, and eliminated the, the return to the dome aspect of it for uh, all the, the, the important reasons for our city and our region and, and Saints fans, you had two teams that started off the season 2-0 and that were in the same division, and it was an important divisional game. Um, now, it wasn't just that. It wasn't just a divisional game. It was Monday Night Football. The, the Superdome had been obviously uh, destroyed and, and was a little symbol of hope, if you will, and, and it was fixed, and it, and it made the schedule. And, of course, we were away for our preseason games, and we had to play two on the road to start the year, but it was the reopening, if you will, a little sim- symbolic of where our city was. And now you had two teams that were 2-0. and um, you know, All those things fell into place, and I remember our focus being just on the routine and making sure players knew how to get to the stadium. You know, more than 50% of the team hadn't played the year before, and so we had valet parking, we had, um, oh, the hotel we were staying at, making sure they beat traffic. There were all these steps in place just to make sure on Monday they were ready to play the game. The other thing we were concerned about was just the buildup and the excitement and the magnitude of it, not allowing that to be too far overboard where the execution suffered. And so we had a practice, I believe, on Friday night there just to get used to the lighting, which was new. And it had changed some, you know, and the lighting was improved. And get used to the, the lines, if you will, and the stadium backdrop. And we, we had a full padded practice there. Um, I think that helped some. Uh, and yet, there were still going to be some quirks when it came to getting to the game on time and, and beating the traffic, and because it was much bigger than even we had expected. It's always those little details you never think about that make the whole like picture. Like, <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> exactly. So if you want to hear more, make sure you catch The Saints Are Coming. It's premiering on Fox 8 this weekend on Saturday at 5 and 10.30 p.m. or on NewOrleansSaints.com. So Cassie, what do we have going on tomorrow? Well, tomorrow, Sean will be at Pelicans Media Day. So that's where the Black and Blue Report will be hosted from tomorrow. And we're going to kick off the Pelican season. Yeah, it's the start of training camp once we have that media day. They start practice on Saturday, and then we're full speed ahead till next May, June, possibly. I know. It's a long season. (laughs) But thanks for tuning in on today's edition of the Black and Blue Report. It's Bree and Cassie, and we're signing off. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report, presented by ABC Insurance Agencies. A better choice for insurance. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at noon central or at your convenience exclusively online at pelicans.com and neworleansaints.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.